Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. You've got questions, we've got answers. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, we're bringing real answers to help you live and love your grit and grace life. Welcome to This Grit and Grace Life. I'm Darlene Brock. Hey friends, welcome back. This is Julie Bender. We're going to talk today about the wonderful, terrifying, <laughs> overwhelming thing in life called raising teens do i just observe i have nothing to add (laughs) of insight here (laughs) no we we actually have a woman that's going to help us out but in the meantime i think we need to pull a few facts that we already found ourselves about what teenagers are like well i don't think this is going to be surprising to anyone but teens brains are hardwired to take risks the brain regions associated with planning and decision making in, in the frontal lobes are finished last, which means the part of the brain used to weigh risk and make balanced decisions is not fully functioning in teenagers. I don't know if that's to give them a pass or just to help us not feel like we're losing our minds, that they're not using their minds. Yeah, probably both. Yep. All right. Do you know that teenagers actually need eight to 10 hours of sleep every night, but only 15% of them get it. I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. It does. And if you're a parent, you'd go, please, please, please just sleep those 10 hours so we can have a little bit of peace during right. that time. In addition to that, it's recommended that they get 60 minutes a day of, de- of exercise in order to help improve their sleep and, of course, their overall health. Okay, let's try telling that one to our teenager. <laughs> How about this? Researchers at the University of Pittsburgh, California, Berkeley, and Harvard placed 32 teens and tweens in a brain scanner while listening to recordings of their mother nitpicking. Not that we ever do that. The results reveal that certain areas of the teen's brain shut down when they're listening to criticism. I'm curious, though, is this their mother's criticism or criticism in general? Well, their mother was the nitpicking one in the audio that were going into the scanner. So I I guess it was their mother's, but it probably may be anybody. And every mother can tell them that. They didn't have to spend all the money and go in a a scanner because (laughs) you've seen the eye roll. You've seen the glazing over. You've seen it all. Uh, This is slightly terrifying. The average teen spends approximately nine hours a day online. Wowza. Yeah, uh, maybe we need to do something about that one. Right. I mean, I'm only hoping that that includes like some of the tech they do for school. Yes. Mm, Let's go go with it. Mm. Let's at least get it there. Hmm. And lastly, a survey of teenagers revealed that 84% think highly of their mothers and 89% think highly of their fathers. But more than three quarters of teenagers enjoy spending time with their parents. I found that last part shocking. Well, they do. They like us. I mean, go go they figure. They pretend they don't. They pretend they don't. <laughs> oh, and they may not at certain moments. Mm-hmm. But the reality is behind all that huffing and puffing, mm-hmm. they actually do like you. The teen years can be tough on both the teen and the parents. And they're going through so many emotions and changes and hormones. It does make them hard to both read and successfully communicate with. So we're bringing in a guest who's got personal experience to help us with this. Today, we're going to find ways to understand our teens better, to understand their brain, to support their ways, to actually build a relationship. Is it a mom or a friend? Is it a dad or a friend? There are a lot of these questions that I know she'll be great for. 
Jerusha Clark is a best-selling author, speaker, and minister to pastors and faith leaders through her and her husband's ministry, Standing Stone Ministries. She and Jeremy have two teenage daughters, and when she's not working, you'll find her bodyboarding, reading, or singing around a bonfire at the beach. Welcome, Jerusha. It's really good to have you. Oh, so glad to be here. Thanks. Well, before we get into what we're really going to talk about, kind of give us an idea of what your average day, the mom of teenagers, what's your average day look like? Yeah, well, my teenagers are both older now. And in fact, um, when I began writing, my girls were both preteens. Now one of them is officially not a teenager anymore. She just turned 20. So my day looks different than it did several years ago. I'm really supporting my girls through big life decisions, where to go to college, um, future plans. It's part of the later teenage years and the early adult years that are exciting and feel pretty monumental. Totally. It's hard for me to imagine, like Dar said, with me being a baby on the way and a seven and a half year old who does not stop talking to me from the moment he wakes up to when I finally leave him in his room alone <laughs> at night. But I'm so excited to hear from, honestly, both of your guys' wisdom in the area of raising teens. I know there's, it's a hard season for a lot of parents. And so I know we want to ask some of the questions that we might be thinking or anticipating questions about conversations we should or shouldn't be having rules, all those kinds of things. So I can't wait to yeah. learn from you both today. Well, right. I want to start with, I love your book title. Your teenager is not crazy. I know there were days, Jerusha, I looked at my daughters and went, who are you? Who has possessed <laughs> yes. this body? And I don't, I don't know you. You are out <laughs> of your mind. Or if not, I am. One mm -hmm. of us is. Right. Yeah, it feels kind of like a body snatchers moment, like who has stolen my sweet child that I raised <laughs> and snuggled with? Um, and the title really was uh, intending to capture some of that irony of the teenage years that we feel like they're crazy, but truly the message of the book and the message that my husband who co-authored the book with me are really trying to get out there is that teenagers aren't crazy, they really are just under construction. A massive construction project is going on in their brain and body and that helps to start looking at it in a different way. So let's let's start right there. What do we need yeah. to know about a teenager's brain that is different? I mean, we shared some fun facts before you joined us, but you know, okay. very practically speaking, what makes them so different from us? Yeah, great question. Probably about 15 years ago, scientists were able to start looking at the brain while it was operating. Before that, they never could. And so as they begin to understand what happens in the brain, starting at about 12 for girls, um, I'm sorry, 11 for girls, 12 and a half for boys, there's this almost switch that gets flipped neurologically. Okay. Whereas in childhood, um, there's constant expansion of the brain, just growing new connections, um, deepening of networks. In the adolescent years, the brain begins at this construction project that I referred to, where it starts pruning away unneeded connections and starting to specialize. Um, it's a really exciting time, but like a lot of construction projects, 
sometimes the wiring has to so you know be turned off so to speak <laughs> in order for the the renovation to happen in a really similar way we can feel like our teenager's brain is shut down <laughs> while the rewiring is going on it really um can be kind of compared to a remodel in your house. And I, I promise you, not only from all the research, I mean, this was a three-year research project for my husband and I, um, and ongoing, we still find new um, discoveries through brain science, um, but also for us, you know, personally, now that our daughters are on the other side of where we started, you know, years ago with them, I can really tell you that like, almost every remodeling project, the after is so worth it. I mean, the before of our children is wonderful. And then we get into these construction years and there's challenges and mess and it costs a lot more than we think we should, you know, have to be um, putting out both in time and energy and let's be honest, money. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> but um, on the other side, there is an after that is so beautiful and wonderful. And that is adult life. So to get our children to that point where they can soar in their adult lives, it's so worth all the reconstruction and, and the challenge of, of these years. I have adult children now, but I remember those years vividly. They will never go away. Um, but <laughs> Like a scar? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, like like a heart-shaped scar okay? oh that's yes. was that good that's really good actually. <laughs> yeah um but what from a practical side when the when the parents mm-hmm. are looking at their children and you're talking about the construction that's going on what does that look like from the outside what when yeah. parents see them acting certain ways is that part of the process hmm. Yeah, thanks for asking. That's a really good question. So one, I'll just give you one of the um, things because what the book does is outline 26 of those individual um, changes that occur in the brain and how they affect the teenager. Um, And then each of those chapters breaks it down into how that affects the teenager biologically, how it affects their interaction with the family we you know we kind of do it like college courses bio 101 psych 101 and then how it impacts the teenager and the family faith-wise so i'll give you one practical one um the language centers of the brain um where each word is stored so that you can acquire it quickly um is under construction oftentimes during like the freshman sophomore year for boys Right. So we're talking like, you know, 14, 15 years old. And truly, they neurologically, it's evidence that as that portion of the brain is being worked on, um, they start to lose vocabulary. And this is one of the big frustrations that moms of teenage boys have is he doesn't, it's like one word answers. He grunts at me, you know, and Truly, knowing that uh, we have a whole chapter on this and how you navigate it and um, how to, you know, start pulling your child out. One of the ways that is a very simple question, um, you know, or a very simple statement rather that invites dialogue, just tell me more. You know, it's not a command. It's a um, in the sense of an invitation, like when you get a one word answer, how was school? Fine. I don't know. You know, then. Well, tell me more, tell me about, you know, and this is um, one way that you can start helping that child connect with the part of their brain that they need to sort of bring 
out in these moments. Now, this is not to say that's always going to work. <laughs> there are times they will literally just grunt at you. <laughs> but knowing that that's going on will help you to not take it personally. Mm -hmm. Truly, that's one of the big lessons of the teenage years. It doesn't sound as practical as we want it to, but truly it is one of the most practical things you can do is don't take this personally. Um, because so much of it is literally just happening inside of them. And we're not just talking about hormones, we're talking about whole body um, changes because the brain controls every system. So. Wow, that's so interesting. I certainly never knew anything about that. Um, knowing this or beginning to understand this, how can we better approach our kids during this time when they likely need help that they can't even communicate or fully understand that they might need from us? Yeah, one of the things that we really hope for in bringing these truths to light, um, both in you know writing the book as well as in the speaking that we do and so forth, is really to encourage parents to what we call keep the table set. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're going to have a meal, you set the table with plates and forks and, you know, um, get nice beverages, all of this, so that you have an enjoyable experience dining. Um, conversationally, keeping the table set with your teenager means always being at the ready. Um, if you're a person of faith, this might make you think of, you know, the book of Ephesians when it says to, you know, seize every opportunity because the days are wicked. And we're in this crazy time of a lot of division in our own nation and around the world. And there's a lot of pressures on our teenagers. So constantly having the table set where you're at the ready to seize those slivers of moments because Typically, teens are not going to want a long conversation. That's one thing, a very practical thing you can do for your teen is have shorter, more frequent conversations. Um, teen Parents of teens out there may um, have heard, why are you going on a rant? Or, you know, why are you lecturing me? Um, because any conversation longer than a certain time feels like a rant or a lecture to a, a teenager because they truly are wired more in what's called their limbic system, their emotional brain, than they are in their prefrontal cortex, which is their cognitive brain or their executive functioning. So having the table set so you can have those five-minute conversations, 10-minute conversations, is a huge factor for, for parents. So often we don't have those extra minutes. We're busy from one thing to the next and we're running from, you know, soccer practice to, you know, theater rehearsal to, you know, whatever um, might be occurring in your family. And, and so often for my girls, it felt like it was 1030 at night and they wanted to have that conversation. I'm like prying my eyelids open with toothpicks, <laughs> but I'm so tired. Um, but it's having the table set so that you can be ready in those moments to just provide for them one, a listening ear. That's even bigger than your wisdom because a lot of what they will take in is through watching you rather than listening to you. So providing a listening ear is huge. And then secondly, especially if you are a person of faith is being able to give wisdom rather than just information, mm. you know, um, there's a big difference between those two. We we may have a lot of things to say to our kids, but what what are the wise things that they need to hear? Um, you know, they need to hear that the opinions of others don't define them. They need to hear that the truth that they're seeking is is bigger than just on social media. You know, these are the kinds of things that we're trying to help them sift through massive, massive amounts of information 
So pursuing wisdom and eternal truth rather than just, you know, what you can get in a 15 second TikTok is a huge skill we can help them with. So true. And, you know, my daughters, I'm sure yours were too or are too, Jerusha, they were entirely different humans. They responded mm. to me different. <laughs> they, yes. My eldest did like Julie's son. She would open her mouth in the morning and close it when she went to bed. My youngest would be the fine child. How was school? Fine. Mm. What did you do? Nothing. You know, she mm. was that. And I realized with my youngest, I had to find an opportunity almost where she was prisoner but didn't know it for her to talk to me. So one night a week when we were after school before an event, we would go to Sonic. Now, don't judge me, ladies. I know it's not healthy food. That but sounds amazing right oh, now dude, as a pregnant I person. Ice cream, like ice cream swirl things, whatever those, a blast, I think it's called. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Anyway. Go ahead, darling. Yeah, so we would go to Sonic. I knew I had like an hour time. And so we would pull in. We were in the car because you don't get out of the car. Yeah. And I ordered anything she wanted and anything I wanted. And it's amazing how, you know, a corn dog could make a child talk, you wow, know, it's so true. But at yeah. that moment, I actually got clued in on my daughter's life. Yeah. Just you set aside that time. That's so key for parents of teens. I know all of us feel very busy. Um, we live in a world that's frenetic with energy, um, but preparing um, for for relationship takes time, you know, getting yourself in a position where you can have that connection. It, it usually does not happen by accident. Thank God. Sometimes it does, you know, cause we're not always great at setting aside the time, but I just applaud you and definitely encourage the listeners out there that that example is a significant one to follow. And maybe, maybe it's not an hour a week. Maybe it's the 20 minute drive that you have from, you know, X place to Y place seize that opportunity, you know, um, don't just, you know, uh, squander it, um, in the sense of, you know, let it kind of fly by. Um, yeah, so good, darling. That's so good. I know something that kind of gets almost joked about is the angst of the teenage mm -hmm. years. Um, yeah. and you know, that may or may not be stereotypical or it might be true that everyone experienced some level of angst in their teen. How can we support our kids before they start to show that? Let me just say, first of all, that that angst is very real. And the reason that it's so ubiquitous with teenagers is it just think about how you feel during a remodel. You know, everything's unsettled, uncertain, there's dust everywhere. There's, you know, usually like stuff that you can't control, like maybe a pipe bursts while, while your husband's trying to replace another thing. And so imagine all of that going on inside of you and you don't really understand what's happening, you know, but you're trying to figure that out at the same time as you're trying to figure out social life and, you know, what you're supposed to do with your future. I mean, it's, it's a lot going on in the mind, um, body and heart of teens. So, you know, my husband, and I always really try to encourage parents, um, don't downplay that, that angst. Um, so that's really for parents that are in the present moment, you know, of the angst, like it doesn't mean that we have to go with them on the roller coaster, but at least acknowledging that they are on the roller coaster is a very kind and compassionate thing. And, and we hope 
that, you know, this, um, the things that we outline in the book will really secure your compassion for your teen. For those who are in the days before their child has gotten to that point, um, you know, I would really say get ready in the sense of like, you're already doing one great thing, listening to this podcast, trying to think through these things, but, you know, arm yourself with, um, there's so many great Um, resources out there that you can kind of use to get ready, you know, prior to your teenager's years, read a book like Your Teenager's Not Crazy, because it takes a while to implement what the things that we learn. You know, you may read something one night and really not start figuring out how to apply it for a month or a couple months, you know, think about how many things there are with regard to the teenagers that you might need to grow in your understanding of, you know, I mean, social media, uh, sexuality, identity, you know, how a teenager fits in, in the world, um, you know, the world turmoil, turmoil that's going on. How does that impact your child? There's a lot of um, ways in which you can start preparing by reading up, listening to podcasts like these and so forth that I really think will help you as you move into those angst-filled years. Because even if a child doesn't express it, there's a lot going on, or they might express it like literally through, you know, physical means or like get super competitive on, you know, the basketball court or whatever, um, then you're at the ready because you've already started that process of learning. You're not playing catch up. Um, so that's definitely something, I mean, I'm always telling people get, get resources when they're 10 and 11, because then you're really starting to prepare yourself. Now that I, mean, I know that I'm going a little long on this answer, but let me just speak to whose child is 17 and you're like, I missed my chance. No, please. I don't know if you shared this, you know, fun fact prior, um, but it's not too late. Um, Really for young men, it's like 25 before their brain finishes that um, construction project. Sometimes um, some late blooming adolescent young men, you know, it's not until 27. Girls, it's about 23. Um, so you've still got time. Don't fret. You know, if you're like, I wasn't looking at these resources when my child was 10 or 11, there's always a window of opportunity. You know, Jerusha, I know every mom wants their child to like them. Um, Mm. they don't want to have an antagonistic relationship with them, Mm -hmm. but there's a real balance between mom and friend. And I know with my eldest, who was the verbal one, when she would get mad at me, she would stomp up the stairway and say, I am so mad at you. And most of the time I go, you know what? I'm mad at you too. So go to your room. I'm going to mine. We'll work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what is the balance? Because you want to have a healthy relationship, but you're, you're their parent. You're their mom. You're it. Nobody yeah. else is filling that role. They have mm-hmm. friends, but how do you do it where you retain enough of a friendship that they want to be around you, but you have the authority and motherhood side too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's definitely a balance of those two things. You want to start directing your relationship with your child to more of a support and influence rather than control. You know, when they're little, you have to, you know, um, knock their hand out of the way of the hot stove. You know, you have to tell them not to run into the street 
um, you know, in the teenage years, you're talking about proverbial streets and hot stovetops, you know, these are like issues like drinking, drugs, you know, hanging out with the wrong crowd, cheating on exams, you know, these are, these are quote unquote, you know, traffic um, accidents waiting to happen or burns on, you know, the proverbial hot stove. So there is that sense of both wanting to move towards greater influence in a, in a friendship mentoring capacity, but also still needing to provide that clear guidance and direction. So we call it scaffolding. This is actually a neurological term that we kind of co-opted to be um, not just brain, but whole body and whole self for teenagers. So like when you're building a building, the scaffolding is built as high as is necessary to continue the construction, right? So you don't have a scaffold that's like, 10 feet higher than the building itself, that'd be silly. It, it wouldn't make sense. So as your child is growing and expanding, the scaffolding is going to be different heights because you are providing different type of help for this building project. So it's, it's truly a matter of discerning in this moment what is the role that I need to play? And, and that's difficult because I, I wish I could give you a formula, listeners. I, I really get how much we want to just know when this, then this. I, I really understand that. Um, but this is a, you know, an, a, it's a, something that will come to you as you lean in. Um, I would encourage prayer with regard to this to be able to discern. There's a verse in the Bible that's really meaningful to me that is when you, whether you turn to the left or to the right, I will be behind you whispering, this is the way, walk in it. And we so need that as parents of teenagers because we don't always know in this moment is what they need, the don't run into the street, or is it, you know, I, I see you doing this. Explain to me why you think this is a good idea or, you know, in a non-threatening way, opening up the conversation like, a friend would, you know, adult to adult. Yeah. So though that journey of, of learning in which moment you need to play that role of authority and in which moment you can act more like the influencer and supporter, the, the mentor that you will be when they're 30, you're not going to be telling them, don't run into the street, you know? Mm -hmm. um, that, At least you, you hope know. not. Yeah, well... <laughs> Even if your child is is doing really poorly at 30 years old, which is, you know, sadly, it's a possibility for all of us because our children have their own wills. You know, they, they are individuals, but even if they are, you have to change enough where your role is different. Um, we so want our teens to change, but we really can only control one person in life and that's ourselves. you know we we have to make the change inside us so that we can operate differently in a relationship because that person is having to make their own decisions it's very true jerusha and i know that there were times i looked at them and thought i could keep them from some of the places they were going mm. but i knew that, mm. i knew i couldn't but the mm. thing I, my goal was, I want them to grow up to be independent women, strong women that find their own faith, their own confidence, their own abilities. And ultimately they do. But I think you can't completely abdicate motherhood mm. when they're younger if you want to attain friendship when they're older. 
you sort of touched on it or at least just mentioned it earlier and I think this is definitely a question that we have to ask because it's on the mind of every parent especially one entering or waging through the teen years how do you approach conversations on hard topics like sex or social media or like you said you know in the bad influences or even substances how do we go about those really murky waters yeah so important um in today's day and age because the input that our um you know preteens and teenagers are getting through their phones will give them a lot of um, information, some of it, maybe a lot of it, misinformation about these so-called murky waters. So for us to both have um, a depth of understanding where we're not just parroting the things that we may have heard, but we have actually looked into these things and um, grown in these areas ourselves. that's a, a huge first thing. And then I, in humility, asked questions of my teenagers. They really want to be able to teach us something. That's a a thing we bring out in the book that's very key is because they are expanding their own understanding of things and you really best understand something when you can explain it and teach it to someone else, we have to let them start doing some of the teaching role so that we can have that conversation in which certain things may be need to be corrected. So um, with regard to these muddy waters, you know, maybe it's um, something, a conversation like this, you know, you read about the um, amphetamine epidemic, right? And you're, you're, you know, oh, I was, I was reading this article and it was just, you know, so astonishing how many young athletes, um, you know, have gotten addicted to substances after sports injuries, you know, um, that must be so hard for somebody. And, you know, what do you think about that? Should doctors prescribe, you know, these substances to teenagers, right? It's a non, it's not even about their friends. It's not about themselves, but that opens up the conversation. It's a, it's not a yes or no question. It's a, what do you think question? that starts a dialogue about something that can then get progressively more personal. You may be shocked right away. They may say, oh my gosh, you know, um, Logan totally got hurt in football and none of us could believe it. He, you know, got hooked on this and it may go that it may go there that quickly. It may not go there that quickly, but it may get there eventually. It's all of this process of opening up the dialogue, being prepared, being ready, having things to offer, but then also being willing for them to provide for you information and understanding that they have personal experience or just their opinions that matters. You know, their developing opinions matter. And then if you get into a situation where you feel like they've had misinformation, you can humbly say, you know, you mentioned um, that you thought that, you know, amphetamine use could be okay if you do it in moderation. You know, I'm concerned about that because, and then you provide what you consider to be the right information. Do you see where I'm going with this? It's all this dialogue that's set up to not be, I can't believe you think that. That's so ridiculous. It's approaching with humility, a conversation that's going to be, you know, difficult for both of you if there's too much emotion involved. Um, It's approaching it in in a way where there's invitation and winsomeness rather than off-puttingness 
of aggression. I love that, Jerusha, because I think open lines of communication, however you can create them, are is so vital through these years because they are forming their own opinions. And mm-hmm. you want to at least be a sounding board. And sometimes they're going to be really right about a lot of things. And as yes. you said, educate you on some things mm-hmm. you may not understand the way that they do. So what? let's, let's just do one last piece of invi- advice or let's say encouragement that you can give moms to where they are when they're raising teenagers in this day and age. Yeah, well... Um, That's such an open playing field, but I I guess I'll really go to the digital um, use because I know how overwhelming that can feel. Mm -hmm. Anytime, doesn't matter what state in the union I'm in, almost all of the questions go back to how much screen time is too much. Should I allow my child to play these video games? What about social media? How young is too young? All of these things. And certainly um, the book has so much more information, but I do want to encourage parents that, that they, these are um, key issues to, as you said, Darlene, not abdicate parental authority in. Um, This doesn't mean that you don't dialogue with your child about the decisions that you're making. Continuing to have that humble approach is absolutely essential, but we just see so many parents of teenagers and we battled this ourselves um just kind of going i can't fight this battle it's too much it's too hard um i just so relate and i understand and i just want to encourage you day by day to just take on that extra measure of strength to say okay we're all going to put our phones away during dinner time or you know one hour of screen time um, after school, and then it's to you know homework or what? It's going to be your family limits. So again, there's not a formula, but my true encouragement is don't give away your authority role in an area that is so crucial and is truly changing your child's brain. Um, lots, lots more information in our book as well as in other um, resources, but that would be my final piece of, of encouragement. Well, Jerusha, thank you so much. You've definitely, like you said, given us a lot to think about and even further to talk about with our spouse and with our kids. So we thank you so much for your time. Where can our friends learn more from you and get the book? Yeah, well, the book is available anywhere that books are sold. Um, So Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Booksellers, um, you know, it's available in all of those places. It's also available on audio if you prefer to listen to audio books. Oh, you just rang Julie's Mm -hmm. bell with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, that was a real joy to do, to read the book on um, out loud. But a lot of those neurological terms, you can read them and then Uh saying them out loud Uh multiple times, like tripping over (laughs) Um, and then um, also you can connect with us via our website, www.jandjclark.com. Thanks for joining us today, Jerusha. It's been great. Well, my pleasure. Thanks so much. And I hope that your listeners are really encouraged. I'm sure they will be. There's some basic instruction in the book of Proverbs that I think applies to wherever your child is in life. Direct your children on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, that doesn't mean their teenage years, they may not stray off of it or run for cover, I'm not sure, but it does tell you that if you do that, then they're going to land on their feet. 
I definitely have a lot to think about, and I'm going to consider picking up that audiobook <laughs> well in advance of Lincoln rounding the corner into the teen years. But I think one of the important things that Jerusha suggested was, again, on that concept of being more proactive. I love that she was willing to admit she had to educate herself on issues that her teens were facing that she never had to deal with. And I feel like that's kind of a recurring theme as we're talking about raising our kids at any age in today's culture. And so being willing to humbly do the research and ask the questions. I also really liked how she talked about having that open-ended dialogue, not yes or no questions, not being offended when your kid grunts at you because their brain is literally under construction, but just be willing to set aside the time to do the research and have those hard conversations. So if you are in those teenage years, I want to tell you there is an end to it Mm -hmm. and just stay consistent because it's all going to work out in the end. And, you know, pick up that book from Jerusha. I think it will help you. You can find more resources for parenting teens in the show notes. And like Dar said, you can also find Jerusha's book there as well. We can't wait to join you next week for another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Be sure you're here next week. We'll be bringing back one of our favorite episodes featuring Jenny Catrone, and she's sharing six things that make us incredibly strong as women. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of This Grit and Grace Life. Make sure you've subscribed and rated and reviewed the show so more friends can find us. You can also share about this episode on your social media or send it to a friend you think it could help. You can find everything we talked about in this episode on our website, gritandgracelife.com, where you'll also find plenty of other articles from other women answering questions you may have.